as you're standing, would you t uh, please take your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. For those of you who might not know it, this is the, uh, this is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. We're going to read, um, actually over the next several weeks, the Lord willing, we'll take this prayer because it represents so many wonderful truths. We're going to take the first part of it today and read through verse 16. And uh, we'll come to the end. I'll have several uh, things to pray about, several things to mention, but I would like for us to read together and follow along. Uh, and to say that the theme of this first part, going back to chapter 8, is revival and worship. And so if you desire for true worship in your own life, if you desire for revival to live again in your own life, then this passage right here, chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, we're going to look at Seven different things that will lead you and me and us corporately into true worship and into revival. Verse 1, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth, dirt on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood in, up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of the day they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua. Bani, Cadmiel, Sheb Shebaniah, Buni, uh, Sherebiah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to butcher all the rest of those names. So let's just go on through what they said in the middle of verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave to him the name Abraham, you found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. You cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You have given them bread from heaven for their hunger, brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. That is the, that is the text that we will use, but I want to read on. And this is the theme for the message today. But 
But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. I, I want to pray for us. I want to pray on this 4th of July holiday weekend that not only the people of God, but many times for us living in this land, which I personally believe is the greatest nation on earth, I believe that. We have received so many blessings, we are stewards of those blessings. To a great degree, the people of this land have forgotten. We have forgotten the blessings that we've been given. So let's pray for our land. Let's pray for our church and the church in the land. Second thing I want to mention is this, one of our dear, dear saints, uh, Patsy Dedimore, went home to be with the Lord. You might remember her sitting over there with Brian and Brenda and then after that, sitting in her wheelchair, and she has been deteriorating in the last several months or so, and she went home to be with Jesus. We're going to celebrate her homegoing, I believe, Brian, we don't have the exact time to, be, but on Friday, Friday at 11, and uh, Patsy was just a dear, dear sister in Christ. So we want to pray for Brian and Brenda and the family and to celebrate our heritage and to ask God to teach us today. Father, uh, you know our hearts, we love you, but there are times when receiving everything, we've appreciated nothing. So with Israel, I, I think today is a good time as a group, as a congregation to confess where we have defected. Lord, we do pray for revival for ourselves we pray for spiritual awakening for our country, can't revive what's not alive, and so, Lord, bring people to life in Jesus Christ and revive in the midst of the things that are going on around us. We celebrate the good and the history, the brief history, really, of this country, but we look forward to what we as a church have to do in the days ahead as far as being good stewards of the manifold grace of God that we have been singing about. Lord, you are faithful. Help us to be faithful as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for standing so long. Now that you're seated, go ahead and get comfortable. Get your Bible on your lap. We're going to rip and run. I just asked in just a few minutes ago, do you really want to worship? Do you want to be involved in true worship, individually, corporately? And that's what this is all about. We look at, at the nation of Israel. Nehemiah is, again, th this is the longest prayer. He's pouring out this prayer on behalf of the people of Israel. It's in three different parts. The first part is today, blessed be your glorious name. And he is just going to go through the early part of the history of, of the nation of Israel, and he's going to give us seven indicators, seven things, seven bites that you and I can look at, and we can ask ourselves the questions, how am I doing in this, and we can learn what true worship is really all about. And, and that, listen... I hope this is going to take you and take me out of the category of just being stirred in our emotions. I hear these things a lot. I want to go into worship. Usually that, what that means to a lot of people is I want to go in. I want to be stirred in my emotions. Give me something that is worshipful. Worship is something that happens in the heart in response to the Word of God energized by the Spirit of God, and that is what we really want, don't we? Okay, let's look at the first one. We prepare our hearts for worship by, and this is going to sound strange for some of you, by confessing our defection from Him. Did you get 
in the early part of what I was reading, the first five verses, especially the first two or three verses, there was a deep, go back and look at it, 24th day of this month, the people of Israel, verse 1, were assembled with fasting, sackcloth, dirt on their heads. Listen, we, we don't have to get into to a lot of description about this just to say that this is a picture of, of the most desperate, deep mourning over their sins. That, that's the first thing we're going to say. Now, if you'll look back, this is a continuation of something that happened. You got your Bible open, don't you? This is harder to do if you're using your phone because you have to scroll back. So if, if you're using a paper Bible, by the way, which I highly recommend, okay, my personal recommendation, a paper Bible is so much better to study out of, especially on a Sunday morning when we gather here. I realize that some of you bring your phone, and that's, that's okay personal preference. But if you'll go back to chapter 8 and verse 9, you'll remember that, that, that they were, were, all of a sudden they began to break out in this mourning and the weeping. And, the, and, and, and Ezra said, no, no, don't do that right now. So this is really a continuation of what they had started in chapter 8. In other words, this was something in their hearts that they carried to this place to worship God. It was not something that was worked up by an emotional preacher or by emotional music or, or any of the other kinds of trappings. This was something in their heart. Now, here is the principle for you and for me. And I've thought deeply about this this week for me as well as for you. Before you can enter into true worship, you must hear and heed God's Word. Now, you agree with that, don't you? We've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks. But here is something that I've wondered. I've wondered if this is a missing component. And if this is why sometimes the church can't get to revival not a revival meeting, but revival, and the church and people individually in the church can't experience true worship. Because after hearing and heeding the Word of God, according to what's happening right now, you must, please hear me, you must confess your sins. You must confess specific ways that you have defected from God. Now, I am not talking about condemnation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. We're not going to be sent to hell for our sins. But there is such a thing for a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ as conviction for sins and confession for sins and repentance from sins. And before you can get to worship, you have to do that thing. Now, I'm not talking about you coming in. What does it say? Fasting. It's okay that some of you had breakfast this morning, okay? I don't see anybody dressed in sackcloth. It's okay if you wear whatever you're wearing. I don't see anybody with dirt on their heads. But these are all symbolic of a deep, deep coming to God and saying, God, I have sinned against you. Let's just walk through this. Verse 1, this deep contrition. I, I thought automatically when I was studying for this of Psalm 51. You remember when this happened, Psalm 51, when David wrote this? He wrote it after his defection from God. Listen, when he decided that purity was an exception for him. I can still be king. I can still be a man after God's own heart. I'll throw aside what God has said about purity, and he fell with Bathsheba. He didn't fall. He ran into that sin. And when it was pointed out to him, and he went for a long time in that sin, 
But when he became aware, what did he do? He fasted. Now, I'm not saying literally. I don't know. But the picture here is just this deep. And he was in sackcloth and he had dirt on his head. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, please blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, that bent that is there, and cleanse me from my sin. Iniquity, sin, two different things, but they go hand in hand, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I don't know if you have moments like this. I do. There's no condemnation, I, I believe, that, that I'm, I'm going to heaven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and not my own goodness. But there are times, even now, when I will remember back to something that I did as a teenager, something I did and it went when I was a follower of Christ, and that sin will be before me. And literally, literally, I will feel myself blushing. And I will agonize. I, 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 maybe that's unhealthy. But I always bring it back to the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I am so embarrassed. I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never said those words. I, ne I wish I'd never done that. That, that action, but thank you, thank you that I am forgiven. Now, now that gets at confession. And what I'm trying to get across to us today, if Nehemiah 9 is a template, it's, it's not an exact thing. Old Testament Israel, we move to the New Testament church. But if there is somehow in here the elements of true revival and true worship, then I, I'm just convinced that we have a missing element of confession Sunday by Sunday. And I can't, I can't do that. I'm not up here to take the Bible and beat you over the head and, and, and bring up your guilt and your sin and all the rest of that. But I do think th that you and I need to do some business with God. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you. And don't just shove it under. Don't just think that you're the exception. I can get by with this. Bring it to the Lord and let it be under the blood. Oh, and by the way, bring your own sin. Because it's so easy when you're, when the Lord just show me, and then all of a sudden God's got his finger over here and you want to push his finger over to your friend or someone else, someone else that's worse than you or sins more than you, at least in your mind. You hear what I'm saying? They were looking at their their own sin, not someone else's condition. And I, I've just wondered before if, if there were a little meter that you could read right here, you know, a, con, uh, a conversation meter. We, we, it's interesting how that ABF, Sunday School, really overlaps. For those of you who are in our Sunday School class, we were talking about the tongue today. The words we speak indicate the condition of the heart. And I'd already written down these words, so Jamal, I, you know, if, if you're in here, I, I, I was amazed. I thought, wow, we're, we're, we're going to talk about this later. If, if you had a conversation meter on your chest for other people to see, where would the needle be? Would the needle be over here looking at another person, or would the needle be over here looking at yourself? For David, we know what it was. And that's why he was a man after God's own heart. But look at this. They also realized that they needed to separate from sin. There's a lot going on here. This could refer back to the end of Ezra where they put away the foreign wives. We're going to get to some of that later. And uh, they just didn't learn their lesson. But at the very minimum, at the very minimum, Part of that confession was they realized that they were not separating themselves from the world. They weren't separating themselves from the sins 
I'll put it this way, of the culture. The culture is going to tell you that it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that. They'll give you percentages, the latest study shows. And they'll do all of those kinds of things, but God's Word says this, don't be unequally yoked. How many times have we said that? And that's not something to just bring you down. Oh, I can't have friends that don't know the Lord. Sure you can. In order to share Christ with them. You do have an agenda. You need to be friends, but don't be unequally yoked with those who are unbelievers. There's no sense of partnership with people who are children of darkness because you're a child of light. Here's something else they did. They confessed and repented of their own sins before God. I said that a minute ago. Look at this. This is amazing. You say, time out, David. Didn't you sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and all of the rest of those he, he put it right where it was, against you and you only have I sinned, God. Confess and repent of your sins against God. Now watch this very carefully, and I am going to make a couple of comments about this because I think you need to be informed. The next thing they did, look at it, right after it says that they confessed their own sins, it says they stood, I'm going to let you sit. And, you know, at this point, I just wonder if any of this so far has connected and God has made you aware of something, maybe. Not trying to work something up, just saying. But it also says something else. They confessed what? Look at it. The iniquities of their fathers. Now, I'll, I'll wait to show this in just a minute. Let, let me say, they confess their sins, they confess the iniquities of their fathers. Let me go ahead and go over to this first. Judges 21, 25. The sins of their father. What, what, what does that mean? It means they looked and they watched, and this would be later on, when there is no king in Israel, everybody's going to do what is right in their own eyes. When, there is, when Jesus is Savior, but He is not Lord, that is always a convenient time to do what you want to do because you think that it's right. And here's what I want to say for the next few moments. This thing right here, right here, and they confess the iniquities of their fathers has been hijacked today. A lot of scripture has been hijacked through through the years, but this particular one in our culture in which we are living has been co-opted. It has been hijacked by certain people. I'm going to use a term here, social warriors, To tell us that we are responsible, they confess the iniquities of their fathers, we are responsible to pay for the sins of our ancestors. That, folks, that is a very common teaching. Here's a word that goes with that sometimes, reparations. Now hear me. The world is going to say one thing, but what we always have to do is come and say, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches restitution. There is no question about that. If you have wronged someone, you pay, but the Bible never, ever teaches reparations, that you and I are responsible for the sins of the generations before this. Ezekiel makes that abundantly clear. The soul who sins will die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. Turn that around. Nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteous 
righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Restitution is biblical. Reparations are not. We don't have time to get deeply into that subject. I want you to think about that. Do your own study. And then maybe we could discuss that. Listen, listen here, here are just a couple of examples. If you rob a bank and you get caught and you confess your sins, what do you think they're going to make you do? You're going to get to keep that money? No, you got to give it back. That's restitution. It's justice. Reparations perverts justice. But if your, let's say, great, great grandfather's friend robbed a bank, are you responsible for making payment for that? The answer is no. And that's the whole teaching surrounding Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, there is, why, then why were they confessing the iniquity? Remember, they were confessing their sins and their father's iniquities. Sins, those things that we, we are doing right now against God. Iniquity is also a sin, but it has more the thought of a, of a rebellious bent. They were confessing the rebellious bent of their ancestors so that they would not be led back into that kind of sin. And oh, by the way, they were. Here was one of the commands of God for them. No idolatry. Don't make for yourself a carved image. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now watch this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, same phrase, on the children. Don't stop there. To the third and fourth generation of who? Those who hate me. People who have never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But look at, look at the contrast. But showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of who? Those who love me and who keep my commandments. Why is confession of sin so important? Why is it vital to your worship today? Not just in theory, but in fact. Because you'll never be able to understand the wonder of God's steadfast love if you don't understand the reality of your own sinful condition. And that's why daily, I harp on this, daily you go before the Lord your quiet time. Confession should be a part of that. Weekly, corporately, confession should be a part of that so that we can be revived and we can enter into true worship. Now, there was something else. Remember what he said in verse 3? But This is part of worship so that we can bless the Lord. I, I love this. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 is one of my favorite verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we bless him with words, but guess what? He's blessed us with action. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's where they started. Confession of sin. But then they went back to the history of Israel. This is where... I spent a lot of time with that, the confession of sin, simply because I don't think we think about that that much, and I want us to. Okay? Fair enough? Let's move on to, now we go back to the history of Israel, and these are some things. What we need for our worship is to remember how faithful God is. Great is His faithfulness. So we start out, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, Vacation Bible School. Kids, do you remember this? We worship God for being our creator and our sustainer. I love this. You are the Lord, you alone. 
the first thing they talk about is you made heaven. You made everything, the earth. You made all that dwells in them. You are the great creator God. Paul says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created. Same thing as in Nehemiah, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, ever since our trip to the Creation Museum, I've been doing a lot of thinking and studying and looking at this whole thing about how important creation is, just going back all the time to realize what He has done and why He is worthy of our worship. Last week, I looked at some creation myths. You ever looked at different cultures and how they believe we were created? The Moke people in Papua New Guinea believe that two birds, we were created from two birds. I love that if you've never seen the video, Etau, the missionary is showing them, asking them, well, what do you believe about creation? Oh, we were created from two birds. And the missionary says, well, in my country, People believe we were created from monkeys. And they said, that's stupid. (laughs) Every culture has a creation myth. Oh, by the way, new people have, new people have creation myths too. Bill Nye, the science guy. Now, I'm going to mention a couple of names, Richard Dawkins too. These guys (laughs) are so brilliant. They're off the chart brilliant, far more brilliant. I'm not brilliant, but far smarter than I am. Bill Nye, in an interview with Ken Ham, on the ark, was asked, where do you think life came from? Well, a comet kind of got out of whack and bumped against Mars and knocked some organic life off of Mars, and it hit Earth, and that's where the organic stuff came from. And he said these words, so Martians... We are descended from Martians. Bill Nye said that. Now, he's come back and denied it, and they usually do. They think about what they've said, and, oh, that sounds, that sounds stupid, because it really is. And uh, Richard Dawkins basically said the same thing. We were seated by an intelligent race of people from someplace in space. Well, we're a lot smarter than that. We just think that somehow inorganic rocks became organic goo and evolved through stages and became us. Frank Peretti, if you've never heard Frank Peretti's tape on this, and he says it's kind of like from you, from you, from goo to you by way of the zoo. Two weeks ago, our kids were in vacation Bible school. You heard them sing last week, I am a masterpiece. From the moment of conception, and in case that word is not clear enough, from the moment of fertilization, a whole new, Zach shared this with us last week, Zach West, a whole new independent human being. Not fully developed. And that's why David could say, you form my inward parts. You knitted me from my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful. Now, notice how he goes from, this is about me. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Whoops, let's go vertical. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. But the problem is these brilliant, brilliant people claiming to be wise, they become fools. Even, even when you hear their theories, and, and basically they, come, they always come back, and when they're pressed, 
well, how did that stuff get there in the first place? Maybe even from Mars. They will tell you, we don't know. So to quote the Apostle Paul, professing to be wise, they became fools. So we praise God for His creation. Here's another thing. If you want your worship to be really right on, we worship God for His sovereign election and His covenant of grace. Sovereign election means unconditioned election, which means that in the case of Abram and in the case of you and me, he saw nothing of value in terms of making you worthy of being saved. You are valuable, but he didn't choose you based on that. He didn't choose Abram based on that. Again, the Bible makes it clear. By faith, Abram, Abraham, who ser- by the way, who served other gods, it says in Joshua 24 too, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He didn't even know where he was going, but God did. And he called him. He chose him out of a life of pagan idolatry and followed God. God granted him faith. He changed his name and made a covenant with him. And he's going to be faithful to that covenant. Now, that's not just about Abraham. That's about you and me. Why do we love? Because God first loved us. Even as he chose us. And by the way, according to this Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when did he choose us? After we had done something deserving of being chosen? No. Before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. And here is something I'm going to talk about. Now, by the way, this is one of those verses that's often misquoted. God is faithful all the time. He's faithful to himself. So even when we are faithless, God is faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. So the question is really this, do you acknowledge God's sovereignty and do you believe that he does as he pleases? Or do you demand to be in control? Here's another bite. We worship God for his compassion and his great deliverance. Do you want deliverance? Well, there's one. You need to understand something, whether it's the, it's the Israelites in Egypt or whether it's you and me wanting salvation. There is no deliverance, or maybe deliverance from your sin, without judgment. God delivered Israel by ten powerful judgments on Egypt's false gods. A lot of people don't connect those two. Why? To show his complete judgment on their false gods and to glorify his name, to make his name known. And so with each plague that delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt, he dismantled each one of their gods. Now, this is interesting Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God for the created rather than the creator. And so here's Pharaoh. This is, it's almost kind of humorous. Here's Pharaoh when Moses first comes to him and says, "Uh, the Lord wants, has told me that he wants you to let my people go. But Pharaoh said, now I don't know the tone, I don't know what was behind it, Uh, Moses, who is the Lord? Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey? I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord. We've got ten gods. You've only got one. Now, that's not a dare that you want to do. 
Because each plague was a dismantling of the God. The Nile turned to blood. Did you realize that they had a God of the Nile? His name was Hoppy, or maybe Happy. Wasn't so happy after the first plague. Turned it into blood. Did you know that plague number two was frogs? He was dismantling another god, a, a, a goddess, a fertility goddess named Hecate. Now look at her. She had a head of a frog. I could go a lot of different directions with that, but I won't. Okay. Jan's waiting for a dad joke. Her favorite place to eat? Breakfast? IHOP. Okay, let's go on. The third was gnats. Geb, the earth god. How, how did the gnats come forward? He took some dust and he threw it in the air. And all of a sudden, look at this, one by one. Here's number four, the flies, the god of creation. Where do flies come from? They just spontaneously come into being. Plague number five, the death of the cattle. Hathor, the goddess of protection, look at her head. She had the head of a cow, of a beast. And one by one, you go through the plagues. These were not just just plagues that God thought up. He was dismantling, just like he's doing today. He's dismantling the gods of the nations because they're false gods. The boils, Isis, the goddess of healing. Hail and lightning for nut, the sky goddess. The locust, the god of storms, darkness. To completely demolish Ra, the sun god. And you say, well, wait, 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 what was, the la- what was the last plague, by the way? The death of the firstborn. Because above all of the gods, the Egyptians believed that their leader was God. Pharaoh was the God king. And God said, I will take his firstborn. I, I, I just see that we worship God for all of these things, but His deliverance, an answer to who is the Lord, by the time God was through with Pharaoh, there was no question in their mind. Now, the biggest, one of the biggest things was, and I remember in seminary we had several different theories about the Red Sea. For example, it wasn't really the Red Sea. It was a shallow part, the Reed Sea. And so the children of Israel just went through the Reed Sea. It was 18 inches deep. So it doesn't have to be a miracle. And I'm sitting there listening, and I think, okay, well then how did Pharaoh and his army drown in 18 inches of water? No, it is very, very clear if you look at the wording here. They took him through the sea. And here's why. The Scriptures say very clearly to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So it's about his power, and it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward. So I would just ask you, why in the world would we ever think? Students, please listen. Hey, look, look, look at me. Look up from your phone for just a minute. Go ahead, go ahead, Bobby. Yeah, okay. Should I look at some of the adults too? They're, they're not the only offenders. Hey, why, why would you ever exchange the glory of the God who's done all of this, who's created, who's delivered with a great deliverance for what He's created, bugs and frogs and dirt. And if you want to come to true worship, students, if you want to come to true worship, the rest of us here, we will see God 
for his compassion to his people and his great deliverance. We worship God for his guidance. We talked a little bit about this last week. God's presence is with us. We do not bring God's presence into this building in some mystical way. He is in you. So he is with us as we come together. Now, the way that they saw it, God said, I, I will make a cloud in the daytime, and I'll give fire for guidance by night. Hebrews 13.5 reminds us of this. Now, I, I think this is interesting, particularly in a, a culture right now, right at, at this particular slice. Has everybody's savings account taken a hit? How about your 401k, guys that are retired and all the rest of that? God will guide you. See, keep your life free from the love of money, love of money. Don't depend on that for your ultimate salvation. Be content. Why? Because God has said, I will never leave you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm not going to, literally the Hebrew says, relax I'm not going to let you sink. That's what that word means. And I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you helpless. If you get that, it will help lead you to worship. Second to the last thing, we worship God for the revelation of His Word. We spent almost the entire sermon last week talking about this. His divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Where do we get the knowledge of Him? Through His great and magnificent promises found in the Word of God. And then the last one is this. We worship God for His provision. Here it is. You don't need to be anxious or worry. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that starts with the gospel. His provision. What did he provide for him in the wilderness? Bread, water. So here comes Jesus. And he says to them, I am, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And that begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about physical food. He will provide that. I'm looking around. Nobody that I can see in this congregation is going hungry. He'll provide everything you need for food and water. But far, far beyond that, he will provide eternal life he already has through the death of his son on Calvary's cross. And he says, repent, turn away from your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ alone, none of the foreign gods. Then you can enter into this thing called worship. Then you will appreciate and that will lead you to confess any lack of appreciation or anything else so that you can truly worship God. I saw uh, something on the news, it might have been just yesterday, about Ukraine, and I was struck by the image. Somebody had given this Ukrainian woman a loaf of bread. Anybody see that? I think there was one more item, and she was crying. And I thought to myself, that there are people probably in our country or in our congregation who will complain, I don't like that kind of bread. Don't give me white bread, give me wheat bread. Don't make my sandwich. I just, I just thought that is a perfect picture. Sometimes, not, not just the physical blessings and taking those for granted, but our fathers acted presumptuously. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders, the blessings that you poured out on them. 
personal, family, corporate, and country. Father, I thank you for the wonder and the glory of uh, who you are. And just like Nehemiah, we look at these different things, components of how they could remind themselves that you are worthy of worship. It led them to confess their defection and to experience true revival and enter into true worship. God, they weren't perfect people, and we'll see that later on, and we're not perfect people, but we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus for those who have trusted in Him. And so help us to be grateful. Right now, I want to pray, and I'm so grateful for the life of Patsy Dedimore. So grateful that she knew you, our last visit. She spoke of knowing you and loving you. So thankful for Brian and for Brenda, uh, for their devotion to you. Bless this family as they anticipate the uh, celebration of Patsy's life. Lord, we are grateful too for being citizens of this, this country in which we live receiving manifold blessings. Lord, help us as the church to remind ourselves that these things are a stewardship, not to be hoarded, not to say that we have somehow done these things, but you have given them to us, and we have a stewardship for those. So particularly on this holiday weekend, we celebrate that, but above all, we celebrate the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for those who do not know you, I pray, as I said a few moments ago, grant them repentance and faith. They may turn from their sin, turn to faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who do know you, grant us a fresh sense of the confession of our sins and help our worship to be true and real and deep. We thank you that we can do this all in the name of the Son, the Son, who gave his life for us, that we may have life with you. I pray this in his name. Amen.